You've survived another week. Thank you for listening, downloading, and supporting the Black Man with the Gun Show. This week, we're talking about de-escalation. Michael J. Whitlin talks about foot placement, and our gun of the week is the gun of James Bond, the 32 ACP. Oh, yeah. Blackmanwithagun.com, Ken Blanchard's pro-gun podcast. What in the world? What in the world? I am all out of sorts, but I'm better now. The wife took me away and we had a good time together and the honeymoon is still going on. How you doing? It's so good to be with you again. This week I got, uh, hopefully you think a pretty good show. Would love to hear your feedback. You'll find all the links to it at blackmanwithagun.com. After John Wayne leads us in the Pledge of Allegiance, let's get on with episode number 483. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I was looking back over the photo album that I have from all the things I've done since 1990. And I saw my little picture of me speaking at the Second Amendment Foundation's Gun Rights Policy Conference back in 1992 when me and my friend Ray flew out to San Francisco. It was a big deal. Expectations were high. With our new company, African American Arms and Instruction, we were going to change the world. Found out that quickly that the world is really eager for entrepreneurs to step up so it can take advantage of you. Was going to be a firearms instructor, you know, tactical guy back in 1992. Figured I need some money so I'd find some donors from somewhere, maybe go to California. Maybe the Second Amendment Foundation would help me. Had already tried a little bit with the National Rifle Association and hit a blank. Money. Money seems like what we needed to get started to do this thing on a national level. The problem is everybody tells you that you need a business plan and to make a good pitch. And to build a good company, you got to keep on trying. And I found out that there are individuals and institutions that will happily take advantage of you while you're trying to do this. Trying to grow your business in this money trap that so many small business owners get lost in. Now, of course, this was before Google and the Internet, crowdfunding and all that, but people are still the same. And I was thinking, maybe I could get on television, yeah, or radio. Then I learned about the whole business of radio. How in 45 days, if you're not performing as they want you to, Arbitron rating, you will be cut out. You have to move to another location or, like today, you can buy some space on radio really easy now because they're losing money so they'll buy they'll sell you space in a heartbeat and you can talk to your heart's content and you really can't tell your reach but you can say that you're in radio and you can expand and it's like a mystical thing of cpms and trying to get folks to sponsor your show but I didn't learn all of that overnight. I also tried to 
write a book and to get on the speaking circuit and found out that the market was not real friendly to a pro-gun person of color. And I found out there was a lot of other people out there struggling as well, of all races, all ethnicities. And then we all were trying to fight for the Second Amendment. And I realized that was more important than trying to make a buck. So I gave up on making a million dollars, at least for now. I put it aside and I kept struggling. And every once in a while, we get called from the National Rifle Association or Second Amendment Foundation or the Cato Institute or some group to stand up, to speak, to be the representative. And they say, oh, it's going to be great for your resume. We'll have you on television. We'll have you on radio. And I did that from 92 to about 2002, 2004, somewhere in there. And I kind of slowed up a little. I slowed up a lot in the last year or two as I see that the world has changed for the better in some ways there is a plethora of people now podcasting now blogging now fighting for the attention span of us all and eyeballs on YouTube and different podcast channels we're all fighting for the same thing to stay relevant to get in front of you to make a difference for the country And me, I have been there and done that. I tried to buy a range down in Waldorf. It was a money pit. I learned all the scary things about range ownership, the EPA, and the fact that some people actually wait for you to open so they can commit suicide with your rental guns. There is a horrible life, aside from the business of owning a range that you have to deal with. There's the money thing, and the loyalty piece and local and state governments changing the rules on you. Then there was a time when I found out that the bookstores in my area didn't want to carry my book because it was too violent. Never judge a book by its cover. Then I had my militant phase where I was going to save the people. People didn't, didn't want to be saved, actually. People who called me a murderer, people who called me Strange, you thought something was wrong with me for being pro-gun. Then I found out that anybody who would give you a gun is family, regardless of color. Had it changed the way I thought? And then I learned that what I had learned before, I remembered that true patriotism is really only red, white, and blue. Everything else gets in the way. That we are to be a republic, one nation, under God, indivisible. That's the only way to work. So I became empowered to be that guy. And that's who I am now. A lot changed, a lot mellower. Happier, actually. But then I got saddened by all the infighting over and over again. I saw it in the big leagues. I saw it in the small places. I saw it everywhere. And then we started with the podcasting and we had only a few podcasts that were pro-gun. I was a proud member of that group. And then we kind of imploded as well. But that was okay too because I kept on kicking. Kept on doing my thing. My thing became different. It morphed into something different. I wanted to be a pastor of patriots, pistoleros, and paladins. I wanted to be a friend 
to the person who has been going through and fighting a good fight. Wanted to be the fire tuck of this band of misfits. And that I have been. Cared less about the latest firearm and cared more about the person who was fighting for it. Became your advocate, became your friend and brother from another mother. I understood the issues that you had at the range. I saw what you got and went through at the last gun show. I know the stories you have from being in front of Congress and legislature. How those folks don't care a bag of beans about you. I learned. Oh, I learned. I learned that I have the cool kids with me. Yeah. All the people who you would hang with in high school. You're older now, but definitely good people. And I decided to make my niche just you. Not go after the thousands or the hundreds of thousands of us that are out here. But just the ones who understood. The cool ones. The ones who have businesses. The ones who are educated. The ones who might be grandparents now. Or parents for sure. And wonder what the hell happened to their country. The ones who still stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. The ones who fly old glory outside. The ones who are wondering, who in the heck are we going to vote for this time? The ones who are sorting it all out. Who wonder what's going to happen with our future. I'm with you. Been here the whole time. And I'm that guy you call on Friday night. Or Saturday morning that you text when something's wrong in your family. I'm that guy who you call when you want funeral services or a wedding or baptism or house blessing. The person you want to introduce to your family. I'm that guy. Gave up the thought about being a millionaire. Beg every once in a while to keep tabs on what I'm doing because mama says no more spending the house money on gun stuff. I'm that guy who almost bankrupted, well, did bankrupt my family back in the 90s. Oh, about 20 years ago. Chasing this dream. Watch people do well with it. I'm not mad at you anymore. I was jealous at one time, though. Now I'm good. Now I can actually applaud you if you get on CNN or applaud you if what you do makes a couple of dollars. I've been there. Mm -hmm. I've been there yes I have to the annual meetings to the board meetings to the special meetings on the side I've shared a hamburger and a hot dog with folks you read about in magazines I've sat down with folks and talked to them and wondered does anybody really know that this is how you really are and to keep moving I've sold everything from eyeglasses to patches to t-shirts to targets I've tried it to keep solving. The bad part is the money that I make like last week only fits for like a couple of things. You want it to last forever or you're hoping it because you got the reach of thousands of ears that if just one person would buy something, blah, 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 you'd make X amount of dollars. But the truth fact of it is there's only about 100 or 200 people that actually will part with their bucks to support you. And you get used to that. 
and you just keep on. Is it somewhere between a hobby and a business? But you can't be solving on your own. But time changes things, and you learn that you're good at this, and you're not good at that, and you should farm that out and do this, all in the name of the Second Amendment. And it's cool when somebody else new pops up and says, hey, man, you should do this. And you go, hmm, that didn't work for me. But you go ahead. I will champion your cause from afar. Or you have tried it and you bottomed out. I have failed at so many things. It is not funny. I got a list of stuff that I've tried and it didn't work for me. But not saying it won't work for you. So I'm here. Your friend, the black man with a gun. Creating a podcast because I love doing this stuff. I love talking to you. I love sharing what I know. And every once in a while, I get it right. One of the things that happens often, though, is that we seem like we don't move anywhere. Being in this space since 1991, I've learned that we must learn to live together as brothers or we will perish together as fools. I can't keep talking about race over and over again. I can't keep talking about the same topics over and over again. I know there are new people listening. I know. But there's nothing in this world more dangerous than ignorance and stupidity. One of the latest things that I've come up with is that patch. That little 3 by 3 patch that says Black Man with a Gun with Ken Blanchard. Now I know it could just say Black Man with a Gun or the Ken Blanchard part could be off, but It means that you're with me, that you probably used to dance, that you're into sports, that you're a leader, that you lead now, that you have a career, your family, that you are savvy, that you're a patriot, that you are some supporter of law enforcement. You probably were a veteran, that you have some degree of trust and integrity, that you're loyal, that you have the, the, the ability to forgive, that you have the power to forgive. That there is some good in the worst of us and some evil in the best of us and that we're more alike than we are different. You support me and I support you. And one of the best things about this podcast is that you listen to it when you feel like it and you get back to me when you can. And you confirm to me that there are still some good people left in America, that there is still some hope left in this place. And that you are one of the cool kids, whether you're wearing that patch or not. It's kind of a symbol to me. And some of you are on Facebook and some of you not. Some of you email me to blackmanwithagun at gmail.com. Some of you actually have shared your photo with me that I watch and as it changes on my screen here, on my, we call this thing, this digital frame. And I love you. And there's not a darn thing you can do about it. This portion of the show is sponsored by CrossbreedHolsters.com. Crossbreed Holsters has gained national recognition as a maker of the best and most functional concealment holsters available on the market today. Each holster is handcrafted to ensure your firearm is safe and secure while carrying, combined with the best customer service in the industry. Visit CrossbreedHolsters.com. Armour. I'll have a set of background papers to date delivered to you at the airport in a self-destructive bag. You can study them during the flight. I want to know what's happened to Strangways. Sir? Take off your jacket. 
Give me a gun. Yes, I thought so. This damn Beretta again. I've told you about this before. You tell him. For the last time. It's nice and light. In a lady's handbag. No stopping power. Any comment, 007? I disagree, sir. I've used the Beretta for ten years. I've never missed with a jet. Yeah, maybe not. But it jammed on you last job and you spent six months in hospital in consequence. If you carry a double-O number, it means you're licensed to kill, not get killed. And another thing. Since I've been head of MI7, there's been a 40% drop in double-O operative casualties, and I wanted to stay that way. You'll carry the water. Unless, of course, you prefer to go back to standard intelligence duties. No, sir. I would not. Then from now on, you carry a different gun. Show him, Amra. Walter PPK. 7.65 mil with a delivery like a brick through a plate glass window. Takes a Brausch silencer with very little reduction in muzzle velocity. The American CIA swear by them. Thank you, Major Blue the Rider. Thank you, sir. Good night, sir. Any questions, 007? No, sir. All right, then. Best of luck. Thank you, sir. Double O seven. Sir? Just leave the Beretta. Oh, Miss Bonnie Penny, forget the usual repartee. Double O seven's in a hurry. One of the requests from a couple of weeks ago was Leroy asked me about the 32 ACP and I know nobody better to talk about all things firearms but my friend Malcolm. Man, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Ken. Man, what can you tell me about that 32 ACP? The 32 is it's a cartridge that doesn't get a lot of consideration nowadays, but looking back on the history it's it's really been everywhere and done everything. Um, it was the very first cartridge that John Browning himself invented. Uh, he invented it back in 1899. And uh, it's been so popular over the years and, and up to this day. Um, it survived communism. When a lot of Europe started going communist, you know, they had all their own cartridges. The 32 was one of the few cartridges that survived. And, you know, was communist bloc countries are still making firearms in that caliber. Uh, wow. If you look, I, I checked out Gunbroker the other day just for, you know, just to kind of get an idea of popularity. Mm-hmm. And as it stands right now, there's over 20 different brands of firearms in 32 ACP that are listed for sale. Oh, wow. So how come nobody talks about it? You know, people are 
looking at larger calibers. Everybody's debating over 9 or 45 or like 40 or something like that. And the 32 just, it isn't given very much you know, airtime, if you will, because mm-hmm. there's more powerful cartridges and people consider it antiquated. But for all of the 19th or all of the uh, 20th century, it was. It's been a major cartridge. I mean, in Europe, no nobody was well dressed in the early part of the 20th century if you didn't have a small pistol on your person, and they were going with the smaller calibers, the 25s, 32s, things like that. I mean, that was that was just part of what a gentleman wore out in the evening. Yeah, it's funny how things come back in vogue. Now it's now we got a name for the smaller guns. Now they're pocket pistols. Right, and, and backup guns and concealed carry backups and well I'm on just go on and on. Deep cover pistols. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of them out there and it's it's interesting if you look, there's still a lot of ammunition being manufactured for that gun. Well see that's a um, that's a biggie right there. It is Winchester Federal, Spear, PMC, uh, Hornaday, those are all major manufacturers that everybody's familiar with, and they're all making both um, a full metal jacket practice round, and they're also making a hollow point defensive round. Hmm. Interesting. So it's not always easy to find, but it is being made, so... You know, you, if you can't find it on the shelves, you can usually order it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So it was really big in Europe versus here. It was it was very big in Europe. Um, one of the things was that when a lot of in Europe, a common thing is any cartridge that the police and military use is usually prohibited for civilians. So they'll let civilians have different cartridges. When uh, nine, the 9 by 18 Makarov was gaining a lot of popularity, they were still making other guns in 32 and 380 for civilian sales uh, in a lot of European countries. Okay. And of course, if it's military and police, then anybody in America is going to pick that joke up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Ballistically, um, you ever shot one? Yes, yes, I have. What's um, it, what's it relate, related to? What's a like, good allegory for it or analogy? You know, it's it's a lot like a three eighty. You know, three eighties are fairly popular. Um, it's a low recoiling cartridge. I mean, even in the smaller guns, it doesn't kick very much. Um, the report is not excessive. You know, it's not something you could shoot without ear protection, but it doesn't really, it, it's just not as loud as, as some of the other cartridges. You know, it's definitely not like a nine millimeter or a 40. It's not unpleasant to be next to, uh, you know, if you're at the shooting range. Hmm. Velocity is, it's not bad. Um, most of the loads are between 60 and 72 grains, uh, bullet weight, and they vary between 900 and 1100 feet per second. And if you look, that's, you know, 380 moves around that. Um, 
a lot of the nine millimeter cartridges will move around that, uh, you know, that velocity. So it's not, uh, it's not a wimpy cartridge, but it's been eclipsed by more powerful cartridges. Okay. I think I've seen a Beretta and a Colt in 32 before. Oh, sure. There's, there's a Colt made their, uh, their 1903 pocket automatic in both 32 and 380. And the 32, I think they made three or four times as many 32s as they did 380s. Um, I just had the opportunity to shoot one last week uh, after repairing it for a customer. And it was just such a pleasant little gun to shoot. It was a lot of fun. Hmm. But uh, Colt does, I'm just looking, some of the older antique ones you had, Dreiser and... uh, and, uh, Walther's still making them. Mauser made made it Sea Camp. Yeah, I think I almost Beretta. almost had a Sea Camp once. Somebody wanted to sell me, but I was like, eh, no, I don't want that right now. But that was a decade ago. Uh huh. Well, they're still putting them out there. And nice. Bursa, which is a fairly common firearm nowadays, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of people looking for an economical entry level pistol. Bursa's making a thirty two. Um. Smith and Wesson made a thirty-two for a while. Um, Keltec okay. is putting out thirty-twos. Davis, I've got a little Davis Derringer shot over under in thirty-two auto. Yes, that's that's pretty popular. It is. There's there's a lot of guns made for that. Uh, an interesting thing I found out is that the thirty-two is a cartridge that um, they use. Humane, they call them humane killers for cattle processing plants, you know, slaughterhouses. Oh, okay. If they, if they use a, a cartridge device, the thirty two is what most of them were chambered in. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, neat. It's a, a centerfire cartridge, right? It is. It's a straight-walled centerfire cartridge. It's semi-rimmed, so the the rim of the case doesn't stick out as far as a revolver, but it's not even with the rest of the case. It sticks out a little bit for the extractor to grab. Hmm. They also call it uh, the 7.65 Browning, 32 Auto, or the 32 ACP. Oh, okay. Well, there's a whole bunch of stuff I didn't know about that 32, man. It's it's a neat cartridge, and it's got uh, it's got its place in pop culture as well. Um, there's a fellow named Jeffrey Boothroyd who was kind of an advisor to Ian Fleming when he was writing the James Bond novels, and Boothroyd told Ian Fleming that your your character Bond needs to be armed with a Walter PPK in thirty two. That is just the thing to have. So that is why it was written into all the James Bond stories. So that, that Walter PPK is a thirty-two. It is. They they made the PPK in thirty-two, three eighty, and to a lesser degree in twenty-two. But the thirty-two was very very popular, especially if you look at uh, the pre World War II models. You're going to see a lot more thirty-twos than anything else. Oh wow. Right. At one time, the thirty-two. another reason it was so popular was because ammunition was readily available pretty much anywhere you went in the world. 
So that's why it was, that, that's some nice, you know, if you had a 45, well, maybe you could find ammo on the other side of the world. Maybe you couldn't, but a 32, if you could find ammo, you could find 32. Ah, nice. All right, man. Yeah. So that's like way more than I knew about it yesterday. So I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> it's my pleasure. All right, man. If I um, have any questions, can I send folks your way? Please do. I'd be happy to help anybody out any way I can. All right, Malcolm. Thank you, man, so much for this. You're welcome, my friend. Next up is Michael J. Woodland from MW Tactical. Thank you, Ken, and welcome to another tip segment. I am Michael Woodland of m-wtactical.com, and today we're going to discuss footwork. There's an analogy that goes back many years. If the foundation is not solid or structurally correct, everything will crumble. This analogy can also go with your feet placement and footwork while shooting. It is proven on how you stand can save time and be fundamentally sound on how fast you see the sights to get your shot off. There were some shooting classes I went to and the description of foot placement was uncomfortable to me. Place your feet shoulder width apart and if you are right handed, take your right foot back just enough where your toes of your right foot are in line with the bend of your left foot. If you are left-handed, then execute the opposite. To me, this is not comfortable, nor does it feel solid. But normally, I tell people to stand in a position as if you are guarding someone in football or basketball. If they cannot understand either of those two positions, then resort to a fighting stance. If done correctly, with a few modifications, your stance is a solid one, ready to tackle recoil of the firearm. Now, just come to the balls of your feet when taking that shot, and you should be on the money. Do not come to the balls of your feet as if you're wearing high heels, but try digging your toes into the ground. That will be just enough to get you where your stance should be. With your feet in the position of the sports person, this now gives you the ability to not only absorb the recoil for better follow-on shots, but in the event you have to move in either direction, your initial launch is already working for you. If the decision is made where I have to run forward, remember, my right foot is in the position where I can launch more effectively versus if my feet were parallel to each other. If I have to run or move to the right, my left foot is in a position to spring to the right more effectively. Just the opposite for going to the left. Moving to the rear, my left foot is in the position to spring me to the rear making it more effective for rear movement. A few seconds shaved off of your movement 
can be a determination of your situation, whether in real life or in competition. But remember, you have to train as such for it to become second nature. The foundation of your stance could be the determination of the next shot. Tune in next week as we tackle another area of marksmanship for another tip segment. Visit us on Facebook by searching for M-W Tactical in the search bar. Hit the like button and join the discussions on the post. If you are in the photos, follow me on Instagram at MJ Woodland, where you can get an up-close and personal involvement of what I am doing, whether in the military or out shooting somewhere close to you. If you're not internet savvy, we have that covered also. Go to www.m-wtactical.com where you can easily connect with us on any of the previously discussed social platforms while reading about us, looking at pics, viewing future classes, ordering products, or even listening to the current week of the Black Man with the Gun podcast. For the totally old school, just call 803-250-1256 and let's discuss whatever is on your mind from shooting classes or just inviting us out to come to your event. Until next week, keep shooting, keep practicing, and have fun. Back to you, Ken. Thanks, Michael, and good job, man. This portion of the show has been sponsored by Dylan Precision, Reloaders, Reloading Equipment, Bullet Reloading, and Bullet Reloaders. Check out DylanPrecision.com. All right, this is for all the new gun owners. Those of you who just recently got into this whole movement, and you've got your training, you bought your firearm, maybe you have one or two firearms, and now you're, you're ready to go. Well, you think you are anyway. You've got your kill them all at God sort them out t-shirts on. You've got your skull, your punisher looking thing engraved on your firearm. You are locked and cocked and ready to rock. But I'm going to share with you something about two things. One is the high cost of self-defense, the realities of being involved in a real shooting. And I'm not even going to put in the added part about being a person of color. I'm pulling some of this stuff from the Armed Citizens Legal Defense Network, and Marty Hayes is the one, the author behind it all. And he has a booklet called What Every Gun Owner Needs to Know About Self-Defense Law. In Chapter 1, he says the high cost of self-defense. Deciding to carry a gun or to arm yourself for home defense is a choice that should be made only after thorough consideration. Many people buy guns with little thought of getting training and without investigating what the legal aftermath may be if they use a gun for self-defense. While a clear-cut case of self-defense normally results in no arrest, no persecution, and no lawsuit, please understand that many, many cases of self-defense simply are not clear-cut. For example, what if someone a little larger and stronger than you picks a fight with you? Can you shoot him? At what point in the altercation would you have the right to shoot? What if three people, perhaps panhandlers, obviously involved in aggressively begging, surround you and demand money? When you feel threatened by their insistence, can you draw your gun to stop their aggression? What if someone threatens your life? So you shoot him, but at the instant you determine you had no choice other than to shoot. He twisted or turned away so that one or two of your shots hit him in the back. What if one of the shots in the back is the fatal shot? Do you think you might be prosecuted? 
The history of armed self-defense is chock full of incidents in which law-abiding citizens legitimately used a gun for self-defense and ended up in prison or were bankrupted because they were wrongfully prosecuted or sued. He says, let me explain how the aftermath of the legitimate act can go so wrong. First, if you are arrested after an act of self-defense, you will be provided a public defender or you will be or you have to foot the bill yourself for your legal defense. Most people scoff at the idea of a public defender, but I have met and worked for some very good public defenders, he says. It is very likely that a public defender will be well-respected and well-liked by the courts. That's the good news. The bad news is that in the typical case, there is not much of a budget with which to hire expert witnesses, crime scene reconstructionists, and investigators who may be able to track down that one witness who might tell your side of the story. In addition, it is also unlikely that your public defender, or for that matter, a private criminal defense attorney, will have much experience handling legitimate cases of self-defense. This is true because most acts of self-defense are not prosecuted. When a legitimate case of self-defense, as opposed to a claim of self-defense, that is offered purely as a legal strategy, comes before the court, it can become pretty expensive, not only in dollars, but also in time and psychological and sociological impacts. For example, if you become the subject of your local newspaper's headline news, your neighborhoods, your kids' friends, and even your professional contacts will likely pass judgment long before a jury does. Your kids may have to face accusations from their playmates that their father or mother is a killer. Business associates may avoid working with you, and your neighbors may voice hurtful, ignorant opinions about the actions you took to survive. You might even lose your job because it is pretty hard to work if you're locked up in jail for murder if you cannot rail or raise bail money. And do you think that losing your job and facing mounting legal bills might disrupt your family life too? These are only some of the reasons gun owners must understand when it is justifiable to use deadly force in self-defense, as well as learning what to expect from the legal system if they are left with no viable alternatives and must shoot an attacker. So, putting all your consciousness and your machoism aside, have you ever thought about being just the opposite, the person who de-escalates? See, nobody ever talks about that part either. We think we must go from empty hand to deadly force. There's a lot of stages in between. But there's also something that's hardly ever talked about, at least I've never heard about it. But almost every corrections officer is taught de-escalation. Yeah. In the toughest beat in America, in a place where everybody is against you, you better learn some skills on how to de-escalate when you don't have a firearm with you. I think you're listening. I got 10 tips for you. Some of them sound kind of hokey. Some of them sound kind of mushy and, you know, nice and stuff. But I'm telling you, you got to have them in your tool bag. Tip number one, I get the stuff from the crisisprevention.com website. Top 10 tips for de-escalation. When someone says or does something you perceive as weird or irrational, tip one, be empathetic and non-judgmental. Try not to judge or discount their feelings. Whether or not you think these feelings are justified, they're real to the other person. Pay attention to them. Keep in mind that whatever the person is going through, it may be the most important thing in their life at the moment. Number two, respect personal space. 
if possible, stand 1.5 to 3 feet away from a person who's escalating. Allowing personal space tends to decrease a person's anxiety and can help you prevent acting out behavior. If you must enter somebody's personal space to provide care, explain your actions so the person feels less confused and frightened. Number three, use non-threatening non-verbals. The more a person loses control, the less they hear your words, and the more they react to your non-verbal communication. Be mindful of your gestures, facial expressions, movements, and tone of voice. Keeping your tone and body language neutral will go a long way toward diffusing a situation. Number four, don't overreact. Remain calm, rational, and professional. While you can't control the person's behavior, how you respond to their behavior will have a direct effect on whether the situation escalates or diffuses. Positive thoughts like, I can handle this, I know what to do, will help you maintain your own rationality and calm the person down. Number five, focus on feelings. Facts are important, but how a person feels is the heart of the matter. Yet some people have trouble identifying how they feel about what's happening to them. This is real. This is what happens with all the out people you see out there protesting right now. The folks who are angry for whatever reason. The facts don't matter. They're important, I know. They don't matter right then. Watch and listen carefully for the person's real message. Try saying something like, that must be scary. Supportive words like these will let the person know that you understand what's happening and you might get a positive response. Tip number six, ignore challenging questions. I know it's tough. We live in a world of snarkyism and everybody's got to be the one upper. That'll get your throat slashed. Ignore challenging questions, I'm telling you. Answering challenging questions often results in a power struggle. When a person challenges your authority, redirect their attention to the issue. Ignore the challenge, but not the person. Bring their focus back to how you can work together to solve the problem. Ignore the challenge. Tip number seven. Set some limits. If a person's behavior is belligerent, defensive, or disruptive, Give them clear, simple, and enforceable limits. Offer concise and respectful choices and consequences, not threats. A person who's upset may not be able to focus on everything you say, but be clear, speak simply, slowly, and offer the positive choice first. Body language counts. Tip number eight. Choose wisely what you insist on. It's important to be thoughtful in deciding which rules are negotiable and which are not. For example, if a person doesn't want to shower in the morning, can you allow them to choose the time of the day that feels best for them? If you can offer a person options and flexibility, you might be able to avoid unnecessary altercations. Now, I know that doesn't work in the job, but if your job is a correctional facility, maybe it is. Tip number nine, allow silence for reflection. We've all experienced awkward silences. While it may seem counterintuitive to let moments of silence occur, sometimes it's the best choice. It can give a person a chance to reflect on what they said, what's happening, and how she needs to respond. Believe it or not, 
Silence can be a powerful communications tool. And number 10, allow time for decisions. When a person is upset, most likely not thinking clearly. Give them a few moments to think through what you've said. As a person's stress rises, they'll be feeling rushed. Allowing some time brings them back down. That's uh, crisisprevention.com's top 10 de-escalation tips. But if you have to go to deadly force, when is it justified? Internationally recognized self-defense expert and my friend Masada Yu says deadly force is justified only when undertaken to prevent imminent and otherwise unavoidable danger of death or grave bodily harm to the innocent. If you memorize and live by that one sentence, you should never be found guilty of a crime involving the use of deadly force. But if you can learn the art of not fighting, you can rock this thing. Do I bother you? Don't waste yourself. What's your style? My style? You can call it the art of fighting without fighting. The art of fighting without fighting? Show me some of it. Later. All right. Don't you think we need more room? Where else? That island, on a beach. We can take this ball. Okay. Just in case you missed it, this is a scene from Enter the Dragon when Bruce Lee outsmarted a bully and had him jump up on a little skiff that was following the boat. And he allowed the little guy who he's picking on to control the skiff and almost drown the little boat, but kept the guy from causing any more trouble. He de-escalated, used a little brain power over his mic. And Bruce Lee was a bad mo. This portion of the show has been brought to you by the United States Concealed Carry Association. The USCCA has been providing education, training, and self-defense insurance to responsibly armed Americans since 2003. Join Tim Schmidt and myself here at usconcealedcarry.com. 
I want to thank the brothers from Live Life Aggressively, Brother Mike and Brother Hogan, for uh, supporting our Patreon campaign and keeping me kicking. I'm hoping that you're doing all right, and I'm hoping that you will think about that de-escalation piece as well. Thanks to Michael J. Woodland from m-wtactical.com, to my friend Malcolm for always being there for me and for you. Remember this, what screws most of us up most in life is that picture in our head of how it is supposed to be. Until next week, this is your friend and your brother Ken Blanchard. Shalom, baby. To keep in touch with Ken and his cause, head over to blackmanwithagun.com. 